It is the year 3007. A single flag flies over the ULE, the United Lands of Earth, and over the dozens of planets in the ULE Federation. War among nations long ago ceased, but the War of the Star Systems has only begun. This is Charlie 27, fifth generation of his family born on planet Jupiter, after space migrating from Earth. Like all pioneers, Charlie 27's human body was adapted at birth to withstand Jupiter's conditions, 11 times the mass and 3 times the gravity of Earth. After 6 months of solitary space militia duty, Charlie 27 has rocketed joyously home and into a universal nightmare from which no human may ever return alive and free. Welcome to Artifacts of Infinity, where we dive into the infinite abyss of Marvel's cosmic universe. I'm Jonathan Hudson. And I'm Everett Christensen. Today we are going to be covering the first appearance of the Guardians of the Galaxy, Marvel's Superheroes number 18, and then we're going to cover Marvel 2-in-1s, 4 and 5, and if we're lucky, we'll have some giant-sized defenders in the back. We are going to be doing something a little bit different today. We're going to be doing this a lot more off the cuff. We normally work a little we normally work quite a bit harder to script all this out but with with life going as it has we're trying to get a little bit caught up so we're just gonna we're gonna shoot the breeze about this and see how it goes and in a lot of ways it was what we were doing in the first few episodes so it's not the first time you guys have heard coverage like this from us hopefully we just need to remember to keep it under two and a half hours so Let's get started with Marvel Superheroes 18, Earth Shall Overcome. It was written by Arnold Drake, penciled by Gene Colan, inked by Mike Esposito, colored by Stan Goldberg, lettered by Herb Cooper, and edited by Stan Lee. I want, I want to start with the cover of this one because it's a cover that I've seen for a long time. You've got these extremely weird looking characters standing uh out in space, it looks like they're standing on the surface of a moon with a moon behind them. And it's definitely some strange art that kept me away for a while. But when you start diving into this, it works very well. I... Now, for our opening splash page, we have the Guardians of the Galaxy logo very large, and then the opening that we had just read. And we see Charlie 27 in the bottom one-third of the page or so. And the one thing that really stuck out to me as someone who... I grew up, in a lot of ways, reading Guardians of the Galaxy as one of my like regular Marvel pulls... This is, of course, basically the equivalent of Volume 3, and it was extremely 90s. So I had never seen a Charlie 27 like this, with his face just, like, so broad, and the set of his body so obviously inhuman. In the 90s, he looks more like a sized-up puck from Alpha Flight, but in this, he's so much more clearly not a human in the way that is instantly recognizable, and I actually really enjoyed this. Which actually, like I said, when they get into the descriptions of 
each of these characters, I actually ended up liking quite a bit the way that they decided to go with the character design. But it is something that is a bit off-putting. Like, if you don't know anything about it going in and you, you weren't exposed to this earlier. I mean, the Guardians have always been an oddball team of people who... So there's this period where Vance Astrovic looks like a normal dude. But other than that, they've all like consistently looked inhuman, even though almost everyone on the team has consistently been human. It's just whether they're a human that was, you know, engineered for Jupiter, a human that was engineered for Pluto, a human that was engineered for Mercury. There's been an inhuman on the team. There have been mutants on the team. So there's a, a, a really good spread, right, of the breadth of 30th century humanity. But none of them look like what we understand is like standard template humanoid, which fascinating. I love that concept. I love this kind of science fiction. More, please. So Charlie 27 is just returning from six months of space militia duty when he lands his ship and finds out that everyone in the place that he has come from is gone. He jumps out of his ship and starts hollering around looking for people and is immediately beset by some Badoon. Now, I don't necessarily believe this is the first time we've seen Badoon, but this is a very different kind of threat. Now, Charlie 27 moves really fast in this, which I also really like, and he moves a lot like a football player. I wonder if the penciler had actually, like, drawn some football comics before this, because the blocking is is very similar to what things I've seen before, and in a way that I just appreciated a bunch. As he, he attacks the Badoon and continues to explore kind of has no clue what's going on here he he's been out for a while and is almost lost with what's with what's happening everything is deserted no one is there and he needs to try and get people off of jupiter while there's still a chance most of his people have been enslaved and are in a labor camp and they're going to die of radiation poisoning uh, in a matter of days if Charlie doesn't do something about it. Something that I really like here is he starts out kind of by just throwing himself into the fight. He's like, you know, I'm going to go down swinging. He starts fighting and he's thinking to himself, you know, I'm too late. We're all too late. Jupiter is lost. But as he continues fighting you see his his thoughts start to change and he says, you know, it's stupid to sell my life so cheaply. If I can get off Jupiter, I can join the rest of the ULE's forces and liberate my people. You can you see him change from just being angry and wanting to attack and go down fighting to like, no, I have a responsibility here and I need to I need to really try to survive so that I can help. And shout out to 
this really incredible kinetic art as he is throwing himself at the Badoon guards. That's great. As he's like realizing that he's like losing himself to despair, his eyes reflect that. And then he's moving in a different way. He's trying to get out and off planet. And so he teleports out because anywhere is going to be better than where he is. And he needs backup in order to free his family from their prison. He kind of makes that directional change so quickly that he's he's already being chased by the Badoon, and so he jumps into the living matter transmitter without even aiming it. He just says, anywhere is better than here. I have to get out of here so I can survive. And so he, blind faith, leaps out and teleports and ends up on Pluto and begins looking for help there. Pluto is also completely abandoned. There's no one around, but the Badoon are also there. So the Badoon are on Jupiter and the Badoon are on Pluto, and they have these winged hunting dogs with that have saber teeth that they, I don't know. Do you like them? I'm kind of partial to them. They look a little ugly, but they look a little cute. I don't know. No, I'm totally with you. And I love the fact that it looks very much in the coloring. Like the Badoon take the time to paint the na- the, the nails of the top. Yes. Because they're <laughs> this really bright red. And I just kind of, I like that. They are definitely ugly cute. Uh, They're like part pit bull, part wolf part cat part i don't know harpy yeah but it's it's really enjoyable <laughs> yes this Eternian hound hawks i really enjoy them charlie 27 flees and runs into another person he says you know by Carsis, you're a crystal man a pluvian and he replies with you mean a rockhead don't you isn't that what you mean? What you people call us? This is Martin X, and he is our second hero in this. And he has a radio transmitter that they're going to use to their aid. So it's interesting to me that they acknowledge right here that there used to be tensions amongst the Earth-human offshoots, people who are from Jupiter versus people who are from Pluto, But the danger that they're all in right now vastly supersedes the the tensions that were there before. And the only thing that matters is getting the Badoon off this planet. I gotta tell you, that feels extremely prescient in our current moment. So Martin X uses his radio transmitter to activate a bunch of robots... And he besets them upon the Badoon while the two erstwhile heroes head back to the teleporter. As they're fleeing, they're kind of doing that thing where they're running away together and they're introducing themselves to each other. Like they're building that that companionship and that, that camaraderie right away. And as they jump through, you know, Charlie 27, and what's your what's your name, Crystal Man? This is Martin X. Pleased to meet you, Charlie 27. 
Same here, Martin X. Next stop, Mother Planet Earth. And let's hope that it's still free. And they dive in. And as we turn the page there, we end up in the Badoon throne room. So the Badoon have their command center of what is called the Eastern Sector of the Badooned Empire. And these Badoon have captured Major Vance Astro, the first Earthman to see the stars. And... This guy is apparently a thousand years old, and he's captured with another gentleman who is blue and has a big old frill on his head. So Major Vance Astro, we get some of his backstory. This is the year 1988. Earthmen now had a small moon colony operating, and the first landings on Mars had taken place. But now we're striking for the stars themselves. And he gets encased in this spacesuit for his journey. And he travels off. But because of advances in technology, by the time he arrives, uh, there's already humans there. They developed the Harkovian physics, which replaced Einstein's physics. And they were able to travel much faster. So he's got a welcome committee. He's kind of a celebrity. Now, I would I want to take a, a, a bit of an aside here because this is a very, very real thing. So essentially there is this law about drive systems and the general speed in which they advance the idea that we are going to send someone to, say, Alpha Centauri, and by the time they arrive, we will already have people there, that is a very real um, concern about space travel because people moving at substantial fractions of light speed to get to a place it is very likely that the amount of real time it takes is still going to be so long that we will be able to overtake that person and have people ready to greet them when they get there. Is It is a very like real spacefaring concern that we have. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was a really neat. Uh, detail to add to the story it's it's a cool way to show the 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 distance and time that space travel takes now because of his great journey he's had to have his blood replaced with preservative fluid uh and essentially he is now stuck in his containment suit and if it gets torn he will die yeah he basically if his suit gets damaged he will experience all of the aging that he should have experienced instantly now the badoon find this hilarious and they because 
Vance has been a hero to humanity, it's a big coup for the Badoon to have captured him. Vance is frustrated because to him, his people died a thousand years ago. He's not too attached to the humanity of the present, but the nevertheless, the Badoon are having a grand old time stringing him up. They taunt him and uh, try to dangle this blue with the red frill person uh, try to try to threaten him and kind of goad Vance and Vance is like yeah this is just one of those native people on the planet that I landed on I don't care about him and the chief Badoon is like well then you shouldn't mind killing him and hands Vance a blaster. Vance says, well, no, why don't you give me the bow and arrow that you took from him, his weapon, I'll kill him with that. Vance draws to fire, and we learn a little bit about our blue friend. This guy is named Yondu, who you might know Yondu from the MCU Guardians of the Galaxy being a Ravager who uses his whistle to control his arrow, and in much the same fashion, this Yondu whistles, and the arrow flies about, taking out Badoon left and right, and apparently it uh, has also some kind of blast capacity on it as well. It's super interesting it's it's a super powerful arrow so this isn't that yondu even in marvel 616 continuity this yondu isn't that yondu this yondu is from is a alpha centaurian uh which was where major vance astro landed and the alpha centaurians are actually really unfortunate for being a really strong noble savage pastiche in this era the correlation between the Alpha Centaurians and Native American culture and the depiction, even though, you know, he's supposed to be a blue alien, is really obvious. It's not a good look overall. Here, they spend the next, you know, 20 odd years with this Yondu really redeeming that early characterization. So, by by now i don't mind but it's really obvious here what they are doing and it's it's not a uh it's about the least attractive thing of this comic that is otherwise great that is otherwise fantastic now to just get some clarification here to your knowledge um is this yondu in any way adjacent to the 2019 series by Lonnie Nadler and Zach Thompson and John McCrea, the the other character, not not main six sixteen Yondu, but the the other character, or, or yes, that this is that Yondu. This is that Yondu. That's what I so thought. The, yeah. So the, this this Yondu is the Yondu that we know from six one six and the movies. Uh his great, 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 
great grandson. I I might have missed a great in there, but yeah, they are they. He is in the uh, direct patrilineal line of that of that Yondu, who is a you know a rogue and a scourge. And this Yondu is a hero through and through. After cleaning up the Badoon, Vance and Yondu dive out the window and head for the teleport tube. Back at the te- the teletubes, just as the pair land, Charlie 27 and Martinex barrel their way out and immediately find themselves face-to-face with Badoon guards. So, of course, Charlie 27 and Martinex immediately take them down and run into Vance and Yondu, who do the classic superhero thing of immediately upon seeing other heroes, they've got to get into a fight. After dusting up for a few minutes with each other, they figure out that they're all on the same side and clean up the rest of the Badoon. And we see our four heroes together. This is going to be the core of the team starting out. Charlie 27, Vance Astro, Yondu, and Martin X. And they come together for a rallying cry of Earth shall overcome, Earth shall overcome someday. As an outsider, it's a weird start, but it's an extremely compelling start. Like... It, it definitely makes me want to find out more about these guys. They're, they're interesting. They're different. They're, they're definitely weirdos. But in, like I said, in a very compelling way that makes me want to jump in and see more. Yeah, I really appreciate the lineup and also the idea of a future where aliens have come in enslaved everybody all the con- all the colonies are in dire straits and this group of people who are humans that just do not look human at all have to band together to save earth from the badoon i mean it's so classically sci-fi and classically compelling our next story is marvel 2 and 1 volume 1 number 4 Doomsday 3014, written by Steve Gerber, pencils by Sal Buscema, inked by Frank Giacoya, colored by Petra Goldberg, lettered by Charlotte Jeter, and edited by Roy Thomas. So this cover is actually rather delightful. It starts with the thing in Captain America, Doomsday 2014 A.D., This day, Earth lives or dies. And we have a bunch of yellow-looking aliens fighting Cap and the Thing on the cover. But this is a Guardians lead-in comic, and we'll get into it. I like the guy with the mouthpiece on the cover. The metal, the metal jaw mouse. Yeah, yeah. The Badoon War Beast is actually quite cool looking. So this issue starts out, and I gotta admit, I started expecting Guardians, and it, it takes a while to get to them, but it's a it's a fun little ride. Uh, we've got the Thing in his standard trench coat and hat and baggy jeans, and it looks like they're at a carnival or a zoo. Oh yeah, Central Park Zoo. 
and uh, he is leading a very fabulous looking man by the arm saying, I ought to have my head examined to think me, the ever-loving blue-eyed idol of millions, stuck playing nursemaid to a teenage infant from out of space. Looka, looka, Uncle Benji. Uncle Benji, sheesh. <laughs> so this guy is Wondar, and he's a super-powered individual who has grown up in isolation and is from space, and I guess we'll have to do coverage about Wondar one of these days. It's It's a lot of gags about... Uh, thing just not being the right person and the right temperament to deal with Wondar and his definite idiosyncrasies. I I mean, he's just completely uneducated, right? He knows nothing of the world or anyone in it. He has no, like, training or social acuity. So that's just where that is. There's a zoo breakout, and Captain America helps solve the issue. None of this is really within the purview of our coverage. What is in the purview of our coverage is Ben comes back home to the Baxter building, bringing Cap along for dinner, accidentally flips the power on a machine that was Reed experimenting with time travel. As they are sitting around, as you said, it's an accident, so they don't really know what's going on, and they're sitting around discussing the events of the day, all of a sudden they hear a shriek, and they go running to investigate what's happened, and there is a woman in the science lab that none of them recognize. Now, she shrieks that this must be a lie. Uh, This must be the Badoon. Captain America and the Fantastic Four died more than a thousand years ago. But when she sees the city skyline, she's like, oh no, it's real and faints. So the Fantastic Four get her to a bed where she's a, a little more comfortable and... She starts to come to, it's been about an hour, and she's been talking about the Badoon in her sleep, and Ben is quite confused by all this talk about baboons, <laughs> which I I definitely screenshotted at least a few of those and sent them to Everett while I was reading this. It is extremely enjoyable. I think that Ben's refusal to speak straight in these books is actually one of the high points. A consistent bit of comedy that keeps on delivering. Yes, definitely. So they get the lowdown from her and she explains that the Guardians of the Galaxy, the leaders of the underground, and all of them are in trouble and needing help to defeat the Badoon. And so Reed and Cap and Ben decide that they have to help, but Reed has to stay behind because somebody's got to operate the buttons. So 
Captain America, Sharon Carter, Ben Grimm, and Taryn, the young heroine, get onto the transport pad and are teleported to the future. And I love the way that this time machine works. They like stand on this pad and the pad raises up. And as it raises up, they just disappear. So there's this panel where like their upper bodies are still there, but their lower bodies are gone. It's very cool. And and it's a great visual way to do it. So the platform transports them into a delightfully retro-futuristic 31st century New York. It is a wonderful place to put our heroes, but it's only a few steps before, from off-panel, they're being blasted upon by Zoms. Now, Zoms has to be shorthand for zombies, because... These were once humans that are turned into servitors of the Badoon. The heroes fight them, but they also kind of feel guilty as they're fighting because these people are definitely enslaved, but they're still having to fight because they got to be able to survive this. And as that fight is just starting to slow down, uh, they hear a crashing noise behind them. Ben turns around, and the monster with the metal mouth from the cover comes crashing through the walls. And this is the monster of Badoon. And I just really like his character design. He's a fun, big monster to have Ben wail on. So Ben smacks him real hard with a whammo. And when it does nothing, he says, oh, Holy crud! I landed my best Sunday punch smack on your front grill, and you're still standing! I love this Sunday punch thing. It makes no sense to me whatsoever, but it's delightful when he whips that one out. Yeah, every time he talks about his super special Sunday punch, I mean, that's just, I'm here for it's just it. branding. I'm, I'm here for it, for sure. But the Zoms and the monster of Badoon are too much. And after blasting Cap, after one of the Zoms uh, blasts Cap, the monster of Badoon gets the upper hand on Ben, and our heroes are overwhelmed. And the issue ends with them being hauled off to the Badoon leader. Following, we have Marvel 2-in-1, number 5, Seven Against the Empire. This was written by Steve Gerber, penciled by Sal Buscema, inked by Mike Esposito, colored by Petra Goldberg, lettered by Annette Kaweski, edited by Roy Thomas, and with a cover art by Sal Buscema. This one has a fairly standard cover. If, if you know, it's, it's pretty exciting, though, but we've got... The Guardians of the Galaxy that we've already mentioned, Yondu, uh, Charlie 27, uh, Vance Astro, and Martin X with Ben Grimm and Cap charging uh, towards the reader. 
with a bunch of Badoon in the foreground blasting away at them, trying to stop them with Ben shouting, It's clobbering time! The splash page opens with the Badoon leader sitting on his thrones as Sharon Carter, Captain America, and the Thing are brought in by the Badoon guards. They are dropped off, and the Sovereign is telling them that they have violated the curfew for those of the human race. Captain America is having none of that, though, and, he's, and as he's being tossed about, he says, I don't have a Sovereign. I'm a free. And the Sovereign of the Badoon smashes him in the mouth with a claw, says, free, this is how free you are, pinkskin, free to die. Free to be rent limb from limb if you refuse to cooperate. So the first thing that the Badoon do is whip out the memory probe, the same one that they used on Vance Astervik before, and it pulls from Cap's mind the images of everything that happened in the last issue. So the Badoon are just as caught up as we are at this point. Uh... Right? Now, I just want to point this page out and be like, this is a really great way of how to put the recap so that even if this is the first comic that the reader is picking up, they don't have to be lost in the story in a very naturalistic way. I think it's kind of a lost art form and something that comics kind of need because... I read a lot of manga, I run in a lot of manga circles, and when I'm trying to get people into comics, the thing that most of them are like, there's too many and I don't know where to start. And I'd really like to be able to be, to say, it's Western comic books, it's not like that. You can pick up anywhere and you won't need to be confused. Is what I'd like to say. (laughs) It also... Yeah. It's also a way of doing it where you don't just have a cold recap page at the start of every issue, which is kind of the way we see it done more. But you're right. Having having some device in here like this is a, is a much more in-story kind of way. You can jump right to the story on the first page and still have a recap that leaves you not feeling lost. So the leader of the Badoon is actually horrified by the concept that this is the real Captain America, symbol of liberty, the man for whom which the Guardians of the Galaxy named their spaceship after, and they must be put to death. Unfortunately for him, at just about this time, Ben Grimm has woken back up and immediately lays out the monster of the Badoon. Yeah, he's not holding back anymore, and with a thwam, he lays out the monster of Badoon, and he shouts out to Cap to dive, because he's hit the, the monster so hard that the monster almost tackles Cap while flying across the room. Uh, they fight and manage to electrocute the monster of Badoon, which panics the Sovereign further, and he orders the Zoms in to attack. But Ben is kind of done holding back, and 
smacks all of them down quite handily. So the three of them are on the run being chased by Badoon, being chased by Zoms. Ben picks up a flying car and just nails a whole group of them with it. And I'm sorry, there were casualties. That's what makes it okay when Sharon just immediately grabs one of the Zom guns and just starts using her shield training and starts just mowing down dudes with an absolutely classic 1970s action girl pose wearing those outrageous bell bottoms and it's it's perfect it's perfect in a way that only the 70s could be it is definitely a slice of excellence right there the other piece of this fight you kind of glossed it but i want to go back to it for a moment is that as they're fleeing ben starts sprinting over to a car and Cap is like, wait, Ben, you don't know how to drive that car. <laughs> and Ben's like, yeah, I'm not interested in driving it, fam. I'm going to smack people with it. And then launches it through a bunch of people. And that really just tore me up. I was cracking up. <laughs> Honestly, in this, like, Ben is really serious. If you look at the art, he's pretty angry throughout this fight. You can tell, like, he's done fooling around. I honestly think that it's really getting to him, like, the idea that humanity's been overthrown, that, that the solar system's been overthrown, and he is not having it, because, I mean, when he when he throws the car, it's it's funny, like, in sequence, but he's very serious for it, and then, you know, the next page, uh, he's still angrily pounding away. Yeah, he's also seems very frustrated at the concept of fighting an entire planet. I think we've gone over how anti-fighting entire planets Ben is. We've mentioned this in an earlier episode. Uh, yeesh, as Ben would say. <laughs> but they are trying to look for... Terran and the Resistance when back at the Resistance the leadership are not really inclined to believe Terran's tale of time travel. Yeah, this is this is a really gross to me 70s, you know, an earlier trope where you know the the woman comes in and basically just lays out the facts and the dude in charge is like, yeah, you're a woman. I'm not interested in what you have to say. I need proof. And then a dude runs in and is like, oh no, I've got, I've got urgent news. Like it's really happening. And then dude in charge is like, oh, okay. I believe you. <laughs> now I got to say that at the, culmination of this there is a panel where there is some uh classic romance comic blocking where she's so happy she's like touching her cheek with like a single tear as they're like it's time to summon the guardians of the galaxy the romance comics are totally my jam i love it when they bring in the the classic blocking is is what's up yeah i do enjoy seeing and a lot of this stuff like the seeing different styles with the you know the the sports comic homage earlier and now the romance comic homage uh i i, I also enjoy that 
and we drop down from there to like two thirds of the page is the Guardians of the Galaxy all kind of posing heroically in action, flying the Captain America ship with uh, Major Vance Astro, Charlie 27, Martin X, and Yondu all heading in to save the day. So they've had a bit of a redesign, and I'm just going to go over this really quickly. So at the top, we have Major Vance Astro. Last time we saw him, he was in a like full-body purple suit, essentially. Now he's in this very interesting black and white, or it might be blue and white. So the thing about coloring in this era is a lot of times dark blue was used in places where you were trying to show light reflecting off of a black costume. It's not entirely clear whether this costume is supposed to be black or blue due to the way in which it's inked, but he has a white section across his chest that I think looks like kind of like man cleavage in a crop top. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it does. So, you know, <laughs> all right, I'm here for it. Uh, and then he has white a white thigh-high pattern on. Now, double aside here, Major Vance Astro, a.k.a. Vance Astrovic, a.k.a. a.k.a. Marvel Boy, uh, he is a master of psychokinesis. He has, he's a, actually a mutant, and he has telekinesis, and he will show up as a member of the New Warriors significantly later from here, but not this Vance Astro. This Vance Astro is the Marvel Boy we know from the future, his future, where he's the hero who goes to Alpha Centauri. And then we have Charlie 27. I just want to interrupt and say, thank God for you explaining that. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? It's like, okay. So you might be, you know, aware that there's this other Vance Astro. So Charlie 27 here has apparently taken a page out of Clint Barton's book because he's out here looking like a leather daddy in this like riveted leather belts crossed his chest with thick cuffs and gloves. It's a lot. No, I think I think the only explanation, Charlie 27 is a spaceman. And I think the only explanation is that He's like a big fan of the myth of Eric the Red, <laughs> who we haven't met yet. But he's a big he's a big fanboy of Eric the Red, who is the ultimate red leather daddy in space. Then we have Yondu, who versus his first appearance is wearing kind of an over the shoulder one arm harness that is the classic look that I know for him. I think it looks really great, and he's got these red boots on, red kind of underwear and yellow belt thing going on. And then we have Martinex, who is still just a crystal man with the ability to convert light waves into bursts of extreme heat or extreme cold. 
Martin X addresses Vance and says that he's got a visicorder tape that Vance in particular would want to see. It is Captain America and the Thing battling the Badoon and the Zombs. And Vance says, it's him. It's Captain America. I'd know that fighting stance anywhere. It's really him. Which is a really fun moment of fanboying. So they decide to make haste in the Captain America ship to head into the fight. And I just want to take a moment and point out that's definitely, definitely a Galaxy class ship from Star Trek. It is a hundred percent. It is. It is. There's no. Yeah, that that's not an homage. That's pretty much a direct one for one. I'm gonna have to give yes. that give that one up. That's Star Trek ship right there. So the trio of Sharon Carter, the Thing, and Captain America are still on Earth, but the longer they fight and the more they destroy the Badoon and the Zoms. They're getting people in a uproar, and the humans who have been enslaved on Earth are starting to rise up against the Badoon themselves. So the Badoon are attempting to raise the alarm and go back to their overlord when they are struck down as the Guardians of the Galaxy join the good fight, fighting side by side along Captain America and the Thing. With their combined forces, they are able to make short work of the Badoon at hand, and Vance introduces himself and his companions to Captain America. But as he's introducing himself, he, he spells out that he was born July 3rd, 1962. And that this is, in fact, not the first time that they've seen each other. Or at least that Vance has seen Cap. He actually had seen him once before. Which takes Ben particularly by surprise. Vance reflects that, you know, he reflects on his story again again in that, in that way of helping a, a first-time reader. He recaps his his origin now cap finds the story pretty outrageous but as these people have lived it he's willing to believe in their sincerity and it's just about that moment that the resistance shows up on the scene and it is clobbering time they are kicking the Badoon off the planet. All forces joined. It is a colossal anti-Titanic battle. And honestly, there's this one full-page spread that is just so busy and delightful. It actually reminds me a lot of pages that I saw in the like advanced Dungeons and Dragons and second edition Dungeons and Dragons manuals where there's just like a full melee on and there's people firing and all sorts of action going on. I really love this page. Something that I liked about it that I that I checked for is so often in these kinds of scenes they only ever show one side winning. And although it is clear that the combined forces of the Resistance and the Guardian 
and Cap and Ben are in fact winning the fight, like it's actually two sided action. You're seeing you're seeing give and take in the fight, and I think that's always really fun to see that it's not just a bunch of villains standing there getting shot. It's it's an actual it's a it's a fraught battle where there is threat. And the captions back that up saying the earthmen sweep through the Badoon palace, their blades and bludgeons blazing a trail of reptilian blood to the throne. And not all Terrans reach that goal, for this is war, and people die in wars, both the bad guys and the good. The conflict, the dying, rages on for hours, and whoever dies more loses but when at last the fighting is done, our side is the victor. But at last, the resistance gets a hold of the Badoon Sovereign, and they drag him forward. And as they're dragging him, he's shouting, Gloat now while you may! You've seized one city! We control the whole planet! This solar system! This entire sector of the galaxy! You'll never hurry! And Ben uh, laces into him. What does it take to show you that we mean business, Durang? We know we got a long, hard fight ahead. But your baboon brotherhood is a pfft. Dig? And with that, the thing Captain America and Sharon Carter get back underneath the plate from earlier, from from the time portal for it to descend on them. So I don't think that we're actually going to get to giant-sized defenders today, which is fine. I just want to talk about these issues for a while. I think that it is really a shame that all of this is now non-canonical. Because all of this entire reality, everything that, that happens on Earth-691 is actually just no longer part of the history of the Marvel Universe. That universe uh, shattered and died in Realm of Kings. That's that's really unfortunate. It's, it's very interesting seeing where the world is at in this, in this reality. And there's, you know, we're only, we've only read a couple of, you know, a couple, three issues here. And heck, half of one of those issues was nonsense at a zoo. But these are some really interesting characters that I, I definitely would love to see around more. And it is too bad that, that that existence was undone. Now, I really love this team. I can't wait till we get to actually the full roster we're going to get to Starhawk. He was the guy who Sylvester Stallone was playing in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so you remember in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 when they have group picture of all of that Yondu's friends? Those are all classic Guardians. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Starhawk is there. Alita is being played by Michelle Yeoh. Uh, Martinex is there. Talon is there. It's, we get these classic Guardians. I just hope that they bring them for the next movie. So I gotta admit, when I was watching Guardians 2, like, I I was still a lot newer to the the cosmic scape uh, of 
Marvel and definitely did not know that those were actual characters. I just thought they made some, you know, made made a spot up for Stallone, basically. I didn't realize that those were, you know, these characters at the time. No, there's there's actually like uh, one of those one of the characters that you see the like pink alien. I think it might have multiple arms, but it has like a snake body and like uh, it's actually the sorcerer supreme of this era is that alien and then he like passes on his title as sorcerer supreme to one of the guardians of the galaxy like this is way stuff is way on down the line but i really enjoy the guardians of the galaxy and we'll definitely keep covering them as it comes up the only problem being that we're still in basically the early 70s for coverage, I'd say. And they don't really start showing up with any kind of regularity until 1975, 1976, and on. Uh, so it'll it'll be a while before we can get to any kind of consistent Guardians coverage. Well, I am looking forward to that for sure after this. Uh, I love the way that they use the retro-futuristic stylings for all of this the art in the beginning of marvel superheroes presents the the rockets there definitely look like there's some space agency posters from from the era from that you know future retro retro futurism era and i really enjoy that yeah it's everything has a a really great look it's all very consistent with the marvel cosmic uh, aesthetic that we've had built up and into this point and I think that the Guardians were a really great addition and you know some someday I hope that these characters can get the recognition that like I, I wouldn't even say they deserve because they put in they put in their work and they got their time in the sun I just like it if we could get a shout back to these guardians with the new guardians that we have. There was this period of time where they were kind of alluding to the idea that the 31st century guardians were going to have a big crossover with our modern guardians, and it never really came to pass. I'm waiting for that day. I'm waiting for that big... 31st century versus 21st century guardians crossover that it's just it's gotta happen it's just gotta happen yeah i don't know who knows maybe we'll get lucky in that the the current series may address that when when it resumes but we can only hope for now but that'd be really exciting so if you would like to know more uh, about these, this particular cast of characters, we're probably going to be covering uh, soon-ish the Defenders issues where they uh, show up again, and we'll probably also be covering some of Marvel Presents Guardians of the Galaxy. But for these Guardians, you really gotta go to their ongoing 90s work. It's really over the top it's really big and it brings out all of the characters that we see in 
modern Marvel and we know they're immortal. So when they show up in the year 3000 with this new cast of Guardians, it's always wonderful to see how they've gone through their changes. Uh, and then there's the story of Earth itself, which is super fascinating. I mean, I just, I can't recommend it hard enough. And then most recently, these guys were seen in Guardians 3000, which was put out only a couple of years ago. It's kind of a your mileage may vary. There's a lot of good, and there's also a lot of, I don't understand why they did that, especially if they were trying to reboot some OG Guardians. I think they could have gone for a less busy, shall we say, storytelling uh, flavor. We really live in the day of taking your time and show not tell. And when you go back to a... Because I, I recognize it immediately as a very older style of storytelling. If you go back to that, your audience no longer expects... 90s storytelling out of marvel modern comics if even if you go back to it as an homage if you don't jive with the modern storytelling low no matter how good these cosmic stories are they're not going to jive yeah that's that's unfortunate that it didn't do more to revitalize them also the Yondu comic that is coming out right now has this Yondu interacting with his several greats' grandfather, uh, and that series is really, really enjoyable. I strongly suggest it, even if I think that they do have a unfortunate habit of killing off characters that I really want to see multiple times, but... It's that just that kind of book, so. Uh, these issues are gathered together, at least digitally. I'm not sure if this is a physical book or not, but they are gathered digitally in a, in a trade called Guardians of the Galaxy, Earth Shall Overcome, which you can get on Comixology or through the Marvel app. Now, I know uh, the... Marvel 2-in-1 stories are reprinted in Essential Marvel 2-in-1 Volume 1. And I believe there is also a Guardians of the Galaxy Tomorrow's Avengers or Avengers of Tomorrow, I forget which the exact title is, that also collects these early issues together. You can reach us with questions or comments online at artifacts of i on twitter and at artifacts of infinity at gmail.com if sacred places are spared the ravages of war then make all places sacred and if the holy people are to be kept harmless from war then make all peoples holy this has been artifacts of infinity i'm jonathan and i'm everett and this was edited by Edward Christensen. We will see you in the infinite cosmos.